Welcome into the Who Day Den. It's Steelers week, everybody. Let's put that Bears loss behind us and look forward to hopefully a win on Sunday against our bitter rival, the Steelers. We will talk a little bit later, more specifics on that matchup as Tommy Jagai joins me to break down the Bengals Steelers matchup. I first want to talk about our offensive line. We always talk about our offensive line. I get it. Specifically, I want to talk about my issues, and this is going to sound um, a little bit hypocritical because I've talked about fans that are all upset about the way the national media treats us and we don't get any respect. And as I've said, you got to win some games and and then the respect will come after that, hopefully. <clears throat> but when you're losing games and doing so in uh, ugly fashion, it, it's not going to help your your case. So I don't mean to be hypocritical here. But a national media member is under my skin today. And that is none other than ESP and Booger, the self-proclaimed country boy football analyst out on Twitter. Also, according to Twitter bio, peanut butter is his weakness. All right, today he is tweeting out some NFL thoughts that he had from the weekend. Booger says, if the Bengals don't protect Joey B better, he won't last and that will be a shame. Nine sacks through two weeks, multiple hits allowed. Wide receiver or OT? Question mark. All right, I've got an issue with that for a number of reasons. One, he tagged Joe Burrow in the tweet. You don't at the player. First of all, I mean, I'm not worried that Joe Burrow is checking these things or anything. But why are you tweeting the player to say that, hey, your offensive line's really bad? It's lame. Uh, Joe Burrow's at is at Joey B. So it's not like it's uh, super obvious for maybe the casual non bengals fan that that's Joe Burrow. Why wouldn't you just say Joe Burrow or Burrow? You don't need to tag Joey B. It's lame. Don't tag players on social media, especially for talking poorly about them or their teammates. It's it's stupid. Don't do it. I can't believe he did that, honestly. But I quote tweeted him, um, not, you know, not really expecting much in return. Uh, but I wrote, it's a shame most people don't do any research before talking. The offensive line hasn't been great. Also, I'm seeing a discrepancy in sacks. Uh, weirdly, PFF shows that we've given up six sacks. Other sites say nine sacks through two games. Either way, it's not great. A uh, couple of our sacks, though, credited to running back breakdown, tight end breakdown. Another two given up by Hopkins. He looked pretty bad in week one. I said, do I wish the Bengals did more along the offensive line? Sure. Would Sewell fix all of our issues? No. Booger responded. We have a Booger response. Thank you, Boog. He says, look at the sacks, but also look at the multiple hits. I've watched every snap multiple times. Have you? Until then, learn something. So thank you, Booger, for uh, enlightening me here. He has watched every Bengal snap multiple times this season. So he knows more than anybody else about the Bengals. If you have any questions, his at on Twitter, at ESPN Booger. Hit him up with any Bengals questions you have. He has watched Every snap, multiple times, probably can recite it back to you. Now, my issue with the national media, fun little back and forth there with uh, Mr. Booger. My issue with the national media is we keep going back 
We say we, they keep going back to wide receiver versus offensive tackle. The draft was five months ago. Let's move on. We are also two games into the season, two games into Jamar Chase's career, two games into Penny Sewell's career. It might be a little early to, de to declare that there was a wrong decision made there, especially considering that Jamar Chase has two touchdowns, two explosive play touchdowns, 50 yards each somewhere in, in, in that range, which is a major outage from this offense last year. Now, has having Jamar Chase there prevented Joe Burrow from taking any sacks or hits? No, of course not. But it has been a key part to our offense two games into the season. Sewell has been fine as well as he moved back to, I believe I believe he's still at left tackle filling in for the injury there. We'll see whether he moves back to right guard or wherever he was in the preseason uh, where he was struggling a little bit. But my issue is the media fixated on the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line as just pitiful, awful. And not only that, not only are they fixated on our line, they're fixated on the fact that we passed on Penny Sewell. Penny Sewell would not have fixed this offensive line. Could he have helped? Yes. I am not at all saying that Penny Sewell would not have been. He might be an outstanding pro in his career. I don't know. Again, we're two games into their careers, so I don't know. But would he have fixed this offensive line? I don't know. And I don't know why everybody else out there in the national media seems to know that he for sure would have fixed it. We saw what happened when the Lions tried to put him at a position he was unfamiliar with because they already have a left tackle. He did very poorly in the preseason. What happens if uh, we draft him and, and put him at left tackle and move Jonah? What if Jonah's a disaster at right, right guard or left guard or wherever we put him? And now all of a sudden, we've got Jonah Williams somewhat displaced along the line. What if we put Sewell at left guard, right guard, somewhere other than his normal position, his natural position of left tackle? Does he perform worse than Quentin Spain? He might. Spain's been pretty solid. Would he perform better than Xavier Suofilo? Maybe. Suofilo struggled a little bit this year. But we don't know. And I just don't understand why the media continues to go back to April and the draft and the decisions we didn't make over and over and over. And not only that, they continue to focus on the Bengals' offensive line. I know that we have given up a lot of sacks. I get it. But when you look at the pressures... The Bengals' offensive line has actually done a pretty good job not giving up a ton of pressures. Burrow has not been running for his life every single snap. Unfortunately, when we give up pressures, they're turning into sacks. Part of that could be the lack of mobility that Burrow's had early in the season. We've seen him escape a couple, but he's uh, largely in the pocket right now. And hopefully, we're hopeful, we're hopeful, we're hopeful, fingers crossed, that as the season goes on, we see a little bit more mobility and more him getting out of the pocket and things like that. But if you look at the Miami Dolphins offensive line, they had issues coming into the season and they decided to pass on offensive line to take Jalen Waddle in the first round. And through two games, this is according to PFF, the Bengals have given up five quarterback hits. The Dolphins, six. Pretty comparable. The Bengals' offensive line has given up seven hurries. Miami, 36. How do you define hurries? I don't know. I'm guessing your quarterback has to hurry up and make a decision. But I can tell you seven is less than 36. Pressures, Cincinnati, 18 through two games. Miami, 42. Tua Tungaviola, 
hurt his ribs this weekend against the Bills. How did he do that? Well, he took a very hard hit in the pocket, had no time to get rid of the ball. Did it go down as a sack? No. Incomplete pass. Incomplete pass. So it won't show up as a sack for that offensive line. But they got their quarterback injured. And I don't see anybody talking about this in the national media, that the the Miami Dolphins were incompetent for not addressing their offensive line, for not protecting Tua Tonga Viola. They had to start they had to bring Jacoby Brissett in. He was dreadful in that game as they got blown out against the Bills. Don't know if Tua's playing this week or next week or when he's coming back. But nobody's talking about it. And the comments on that have been don't compare yourself to the Dolphins. Who cares about the Dolphins? Worry about the Bengals. Move on. I don't care about Miami. I mean, I, I hope Tua Tungaviola doesn't get seriously injured. That's not what I'm saying. But I don't care about their offensive line. I don't care if they're good or bad. The point is, they're not good. They're arguably worse than the Bengals. And it's not a national media talking point. It's these narratives that the media gets stuck in their head and they just repeat over and over and over. They regurgitate them. They talk about the same things for however long they want to talk about them. And they don't move on to new talking points. They don't even really necessarily research these talking points to support it. You just just keep saying the same stuff over and over. It'll be fine. That's where I'm annoyed today. Mini rant over. Uh, I'm hopeful the offensive line sees some improvement. We don't know whether... Uh, at this point, Xavier Suofilo apparently dealing with a little bit of an injury. He may be replaced by Jackson Carmen against Pittsburgh. I don't know. We'll see. At this point, at the time of recording, we do not have any insight into that. Uh, I wouldn't hate to see him mix in, even if Suofilo is starting against the Steelers, get him some reps, because I think we are going to need him and or Deontay Smith if he's ready to go uh, at some point during the season to help our interior offensive line. All right, enough about the offensive line. I mentioned it is Steelers week. We are previewing Bengals-Steelers, our first matchup of 2021, our second away game, back-to-back away game, Chicago last week, Pittsburgh this week. Pittsburgh coming off a loss to the Las Vegas Raiders at home. Listen in as Tommy joined me to talk about his Steelers. As mentioned, I am joined today by Tommy Jagai, who is here to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Tommy and I have a very interesting history with each other. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself first, and and then I've got some questions for him because he might have betrayed his uh, his Steelers fandom at one point in his past, and I've got to challenge him on that. Tommy, how are you doing? Taylor, I'm great. Thanks for having me on the pod today. And in regards to that, uh, we we did cross paths. We were at Bengal Maven together for a little bit there, uh, five or six months, give or take. And uh, how that happened was I, I just had someone reach out to me and asked if I was interested in covering the Bengals. And so um, obviously I'm a Steelers fan. Uh, I've been a Steelers fan my whole life, uh, but an opportunity presented itself that way. Um, now I am a full-time editor for Fansided and strictly writing for the Steelers on stillcurtain.com. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting that we were working together because when when I interacted with you originally and joined the Bengals Maven team there, I was very confused because I think you still had like Still Curtain in your bio or something on Twitter. And I'm like, 
wait, is he like sabotaging us? Cause he's a Steelers fan, but he's running Bengals Maven. What's going on here? Um, but no, we had a, I think we had a, it was a short run, but man, we had, a, I thought we had a pretty good time there. Had a good, a good little team. Um, so it yeah, was, I, that was a blast. That's where our, our paths first crossed. And now here we are. How many, what that was like two or three years ago. Yeah. Two or three years. Yep. Here we are now talking Bengals Steelers. And I think, you know, three weeks into the season, I, I, I don't think anyone's really calling unless you're Oh, and two, maybe you're not really saying a game is a must win yet, but with the way the AFC North is right now, um, it's, it's a big game, not a must win, but it's a big game for both teams because to move to two and one, um, obviously push your rival to one and two. That's a nice little, uh, one game pad to have early here in the season. Pittsburgh though, is dealing with a rash of injuries. And I want to touch on those because, uh, Cincinnati's relative, relatively healthy knock on wood going into this game. Hopeful that Trey Waynes makes a, I say makes a return. He's never played it down for. So hopefully he finally plays for us this week for the first time ever. Uh, Xavier Suofilo is a little dinged up, so we might see Jackson Carmen for the first time on the interior of that offensive line. Other than that, though, Cincinnati's pretty healthy. But I keep seeing tweets about all these injuries to to not just you know uh, back end players, but some of your star players. So talk us uh, through some of those because I'm not sure how big of a deal they are. Yeah, I can't say the same about the Steelers right now in terms of health. Uh, we started the season pretty good. We had uh, Zach Banner, our starting right tackle, on injured reserve, as well as Stephon Tuitt, who had a great season for us last year. Uh, week one went through without a hitch pretty much, and in week two, uh, we're down five players on our starting defense, if you include Tuitt. And so just before the game, uh, Joe Hayden was out with a groin injury. Uh, Devin Bush was out with a groin injury and TJ Watt actually left the game early as well with also a groin injury. And so uh, that puts things into a, a little bit of a question here as to what's going to be going on when the Steelers uh, take the field against the Bengals this week. Typically groin injuries can last between one and three weeks. It looks like the Steelers might try to err on the side of caution being that it's early in the season. And I'm not sure if any of the three will suit up in this game, which could certainly make a difference. Man, that would be big. And Big Ben, of course, popped up on the injury report. But as a Bengals fan, I'm used to seeing him on the uh, injury report leading up to our game. And Steelers fans surely are um, accustomed to seeing him there. It doesn't seem like his is any sort of serious injury. But do you think it's the type of injury that uh, what did they call it? A, a pectoral issue? Do you think that's anything that yes. limits him in any way? Or is this just him getting himself psyched up for Bengals week? That is that one is really interesting to me because if that happened in the game, I'm not sure at what point that it did. Uh, there are some people that I've seen already on Twitter speculating the severity of this injury. And maybe if there's truth to it, because with uh, half of the Steelers starting defense banged up, uh, Deontay Johnson could miss this game. Steelers number one wide receiver. Ben's go-to guy, obviously he has 22 targets in the first two games. Is this, Ben's way or Steelers way of maybe saying, all right, Ben, maybe we can give you a break this week. We've got to make sure you're on the injury report. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate to that, uh, but it is interesting to note that he's on the injury report this week. I don't foresee it being any major issue at all in the left pectoral. If it's just a strain, he would probably be able to play through it anyway. Yeah. Maybe a different story. If it was on his throwing side at all, maybe your pectoral muscles used a little bit more there 
when you throw, but opposite side, I'd say he's probably fine as well. Now I want to get into offensive line talk and I'm not going to spend as much time on the Bengals offensive line because I've been ranting about them uh, today on Twitter. But uh, interestingly, and I'm finding as I do some of these research for tweets and show sheets and stuff that depending on your source for data, uh, things are a little different, whether you use pro football reference, whether you're looking at ESPN, PFF, they all kind of define pressures a little bit differently. But generally speaking, these offensive lines, the Bengals and Steelers, both have allowed 18 quarterback pressures so far in two games, per my sources. Um, the difference is the Bengals are resulting in sacks. When they're giving up pressures, they've given up, depending on where you look, uh, six or nine sacks, uh, a number of quarterback hits. Pittsburgh has only given up a couple of sacks. So the difference is uh, our offensive line is is not necessarily getting bludgeoned like Miami, which I tweeted out earlier. They've got like 38 quarterback pressures in two games. They almost got uh, Tua killed again last week, but they're not giving up a lot of sacks. We're giving up a lot of sacks. Um, it looks like on paper that Pittsburgh is weaker at the um, tackle spot. Would you say that's an accurate assessment and kind of what's the overall feeling there in Pittsburgh about this offensive line that had a lot of question marks coming into the season? And I think that's a great question because in my assessment so far and in the eye test, I think you could argue that it's been equally poor across the line for the Steelers right now. Uh, the Steelers have given up four sacks, which doesn't seem like a lot in the first two games. However, it's it's not been smooth sailing uh as the numbers would suggest. And so uh, the Steelers are giving up far too many pressures. I think it's, it's, it's a combination of everybody across the offensive line. Uh, there's a lot of inexperience there. I believe their average age is just over 24 years old on the offensive line this year. And it's really hard to pick one player in particular that stands out as this player is, has been substantially better than anybody else on the roster right now. Obviously tackle spot is a big issue. And so to address your question, I do think that's probably a little bit more of an issue than the interior offensive line right now. Kendrick Green, their, their rookie center, has been very inconsistent up and down. Uh, will make a few nice plays where he drives someone into the ground, but also will get knocked onto the ground himself. Uh, if I had to pick one particular player that I really think has struggled in the first two games, I think it's the right tackle, Chukwuma Okorafor, who actually moved from the left side to the right side uh, with Zach Banner going to IR. And I think he's really struggled in pass sets, particularly in the first two games. So yeah, it's not been great along the offensive line for the Steelers so far. Yeah. And I, I uh, Bengals fans obviously are hoping that we're able to get some pressure on big Ben because he's not the most mobile guy anymore, but uh, if you give him the time back there and he's got a clean pocket, We'll see if Deontay plays, but with your receivers, at least with Claypool and Juju and the emergence of maybe Pat Freermuth, um, there's some options there for him to pick apart your defense. So you're hopeful that you're able to get in there, collapse the pocket on him a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about Big Ben because it seems like the narrative has been for maybe a couple of years. It's been building a little bit, but then really towards the end of last year, as the season was collapsing as much as it can for what a 12 and 14 whatever you guys finished um still a really strong record but things were falling apart a little bit there in pittsburgh offensively is big ben washed or is the arm strength concern and his ability to push the ball down the field a little overblown at this point in his career well this is the the million dollar question for steelers fans this year and there was a fan base that was dishonestly torn 
between whether or not the Steelers should have given Ben even the option to come back this year, as a lot of people thought that uh, we saw the worst football that he's ever played in the final five games of the 2020 season. And many thought that it was just time to move on. I was sort of part of that train as well. Um, is Ben washed? Yes. And no, I'm not going to say that he's completely done at this point, but he certainly needs help. It's not like the big Ben of old. Um, he's going to need a good, healthy defense to help him out this year. He's not the same player, obviously that he used to be And the big Ben that we have come to know. He doesn't play that style of football anymore. He's, he plays more like maybe an Alex Smith where everything operates from the pocket in timing, getting the ball out quick and that Ben used to be known for his ability to extend the play. And he was one of the best quarterbacks throwing on the run and getting out in space and throwing down the field. And, and those are all things that he really struggles with at this point in his career. And how many times as Bengals fans have we seen a sack big Ben in our sights and he's able to spin away, shed some tackles, get out of the pocket, make a play. We're hopeful that, you know, he still has his uh, his body frame, although apparently he's slimmed down this year before the season started. He's still a large guy. Um, Going to have to wrap him up. And man, we saw last week uh, our inability to wrap up a quarterback, maybe of a little different build there in Justin Fields. <laughs> he might be a little bit different stylistically than Big Ben, but uh, hopefully if we get our hands on him, we're able to get him down. I think another area where you've seen kind of the struggle of the offensive line is in the run game. and. I'm a fantasy football guy, so I'm I'm familiar with the running back position, and I know that for the last couple of years, I haven't really wanted any Pittsburgh running backs on my team. Uh, James Conner, of course, had a good year uh, a few years back, but after Le'Veon Bell left, the fantasy goodness and production of that position kind of left as well, and we thought maybe it was coming back with Najee Harris. I'm a huge Najee Harris fan. Um, I'm sure everybody in Pittsburgh is as well. It, this is kind of a game where it seems like we're we're pitting a Cincinnati strength, our defensive line, already bottled up Dalvin Cook and David Montgomery for the most part, about three yards a carry, against a Steelers' weakness, which is their ability to generate yards for Najee Harris. Um, last week, looked like Najee Harris was getting more involved in the passing game. He's not coming off the field. He's like 95% snap share. So do you anticipate that Pittsburgh's going to kind of stick to let's try to get Najee going on the ground, or are they going to abandon that a little bit more? I think he only had 10 carries last week, but again, those five targets, uh, a receiving touchdown. Will we see him utilized more in the passing game instead? Uh, yes, I think we will. And I think the plan is always to, to try to run the ball with Najee. That's what you drafted him for. He's a first round pick. And that's why in week one, he played 100% of the snaps. I think the talent is very evident. I think that you can watch Harris and see that he's fighting for the extra yardage. He can go above and beyond what anybody else on the roster can do. The problem is the blocking just isn't there. And so uh, Harris only had 10 carries last week. That's not a lot, but at the same time, they're not successful. So what can you do? And so I have a feeling what's going to happen again because the Bengals' run defense has been so good to start the season. I think that they're going to try to run Harris early on, and they may have to abandon that game plan a little bit and use him more in the passing game as the game goes on. Uh, Harris hasn't been spectacular on the ground yet, and I don't think a lot of that is his fault. He's, he's churning for extra yardage, but it's been some real tough sledding there, and I'm not sure if it gets any better this week. 
Yeah, um, I looked up. He had the uh, this was according to Pro Football Reference the tenth lowest yards before contact among running backs so far, about mm-hmm. two yards before he gets contacted for the first time by the first defender. Now PFF has him graded pretty highly as far as uh, elusive rating and things like that. So you know that he's able to break tackles. He's able to make things happen, but it's a little bit hard when the first guy you've got to beat is right there in front of you, a couple of yards beyond the uh, line of scrimmage. So the Bengals surprisingly have done a decent job. I mean, I I've been kind of surprised by their run defense as a whole, but I kind of thought that the pass catching backs might give them trouble as well. Dalvin Cook saw seven targets in week one, but only 43 yards. Uh, Montgomery had 18 yards last week on three targets. I think there was a a larger passing play to Montgomery that was called back due to penalty. So as a Bengals fan, as I look at the Najee Harris matchup, as a player, he scares me a little bit. I'm not sure that with the offensive line um, right now that I'm I should knock on wood before I say this, that I'm extraordinarily concerned about Najee Harris being the one player that you have to stop or else the Steelers are going to beat us. I think your receivers uh, scare me a little bit more. Um, We mentioned Deontay Johnson potentially not playing. Maybe he'll be limited. We'll see. If he doesn't play, how much do you think that changes Pittsburgh's scheme? We know he's a favorite target of Big Ben. Yeah, that's such a huge factor for the Steelers, I think. More than... A lot of people would like to believe Johnson has, like I said, 22 targets through his first two games. He had 100 yards, over 100 yards last game. Ben loves throwing to Johnson because he can get wide open faster than anybody else on the team. And he's also very good after the catch. So he's the only real X receiver they have on the roster. And I think he's really good at what he does. Yes, he had a lot of drops last year, led the NFL in that department. Um, But it's a treat. If you can have someone that gets open as easily as, as he does, and Ben can see him open, um, so if they're if the Steelers don't have him this game, I think it's going to be it's going to be a big factor. He'll be using James Washington more. I'll be interested to see if they throw John or Washington in as the X receiver, or if they try to run more twelve personnel with just Juju and Claypool on the field. Uh, either way, I think it takes away Ben's favorite target. And anytime you do that, it's going to throw a curveball in the Steelers' recipe for success on offense this week. Now, this is a, uh, speaking of curveball, not something on the show sheet, but you jogged my memory here. You mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster. Do people in Pittsburgh get annoyed, as annoyed with his TikTok antics as people outside of Pittsburgh? That's a great question, Taylor. And uh, to that, I would say it's much like the... Ben argument on whether or not he would come back or not. I think the fan base is really split on that. Uh, most people that I see just running through the the threads on Twitter, they really don't care at all. And in fact, they think it's entertaining. Um, I, even though I'm a millennial myself, I find it a little bit annoying and it's, it's not my favorite thing. I wish that he wouldn't do it quite as often, I guess. It just doesn't, it just doesn't interest me. Um, I, I try to, I try to avoid that discussion because I know it upsets some people, but yeah, I think the fan base is really split on, and it's normally what it's hard one way or the other. You either, you either love the TikTok stuff or you hate it. And so I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more towards the hate side, but uh, as long as he's showing up and playing, I think Juju had a really good game. I think he was their, their most consistent receiver last week. And I think he's a solid football player. So that's my main focus is, is what he's doing on the football field. And I could care less about the TikTok stuff that he's doing. It doesn't really interest me. 
but yeah, that's, that's a great question and a good discussion. Yeah. I, I, I originally started when the, the first kind of discussions came up about it. I didn't hate it because I think, uh, you know, we forget that even though they play a game on the field that we watch and consume, they're human beings that have other interests. And if that's what he wants to do for fun, like just let the guy have fun. He's like, he's been in the league for a while, but he's still only like, what, like 24. Like he's still a young yep. dude and he wants to do TikToks, whatever. Um, I will say I changed uh, almost a complete 180 on that because I'm, I'm to the point now where I'm like, this is getting a little cringy, dude. Um, and when the <laughs> when the the TikTok starts uh, coming onto the football field, and you know, don't know how true this is, but providing some bulletin board material for the opponent, I think if your opponent needs a TikTok for to get amped up for a game, that's an issue as well. But you know, whatever you want to call it, they give you a little extra incentive, a little more excitement when Von Bell hits him in a game and, and knocks the ball loose because oh, he TikToked on the Bengals logo. Those types of things, it's just, it kind of gets on my nerves. But uh, yeah, I, I hear I, you. I, as yeah. long as it's not impacting his play on the field, I guess you can't get too upset by it. I agree with you there. And that's that's the part that I guess uh, disturbs me a little bit too, because I know that there were a few players that came out to him. There was a report, at least, that a few players, I think Cameron Hayward was one of them, uh, that asked you to stop the dancing on the, the emblems before the game and it continued for a few games after this. And obviously Steelers didn't have great luck at the end of the season. Uh, but other than that, if, if he wants to do the TikToks, then he can TikTok. <laughs> um, I kind of want to wrap up the, the offensive side of the ball here with a couple quick questions, I guess from the Steelers perspective, what type of game plan do you want to see them attempt to execute against the Bengals from uh, the fan standpoint, you know, you you watch the games and you have an idea. It was talked about ad nauseum the last couple of days for the Bengals, what works and what doesn't. Zach Taylor insists on doing empty set the entire game against the Bears. It's not working. They're not taking deep shots. Uh, everybody's frustrated. So I'm hopeful as a Bengals fan, we don't go with that game plan. But from the Steelers perspective, is there some recipe to success that you think needs to be true for them to, to beat the Bengals? Uh, or are they just going to kind of need to do what they've been doing two games into the season. Well, in a perfect world, it would be nice to be able to run the ball and run it consistently. But like I said, I'm not sure if that's going to happen this week uh, or if it's something that's going to happen down the line. The Steelers offensive line just hasn't seemed to mesh yet. It does, they haven't got it all together in pass protection or run blocking. I think if the offensive line can get things together and gradually improve every week and, and make a jump up this week, then I think that would help out tremendously. Uh, but I, I think the Steelers need to be able to run the football with some level of consistency. And I think passing down the field is huge. It's something that's not talked about enough. Last week, it wasn't for a lack of effort. Ben threw 14 passes that were 20 air yards or beyond. The problem is only four of them were complete and one of them was intercepted. And so the Steelers need to continue to look down the field, but they also need to be more efficient down the field. And I think if Ben can start being more efficient, it's going to bring the safeties back. It's going to take a guy out of the box. It's going to help your run game. It's just going to make everything work so much more smoothly on offense. And I feel like uh, the downfield passing game is something that has to improve. And I'm hoping that it does against the Bengals this week. Do you think the uh, the addition of Pat Freermuth, the rookie out of what, Notre Dame, I believe, um, is he Penn state Penn state? My bad. A, uh, is, is he a, a dark horse to kind of help 
that offense expand their deep passing. We know Claypool from a wide receiver perspective is the um, best field stretcher you guys have. He's he's great in that area. Other than that, though, Juju doesn't strike you as a deep threat. Deontay has a pretty low average depth of target. Is Frumuth one that he's been he's been playing ahead of Ebron, still kind of splitting snaps, but playing ahead of him as far as more snaps the last couple of weeks. Um, hmm. Bengals have done a good job against tight ends, but still, especially if Deontay's out, I'm wondering whether he'll have a larger role. Yeah, I certainly think that Fryermuth can be an X factor for the Steelers this game. Um, I didn't expect him, honestly, to get off to as well of a start as he has in his first two weeks. And and this week, he uh, outsnapped Ebron pretty heavily. And he did it in week one by a few snaps. And so I think they can certainly use him down the seam. They have got to start passing the ball over the middle of the field. And I tweeted out, a little graphic the other day from next gen stats that showed that in the previous game against the Raiders, Ben did not have an intermediate to deep pass in the middle of the field, the entire game. And I think that Fryermuth can help change that a little bit Um, in terms of his efficiency right now. He's, he's caught five of five targets for 60 yards. He's been really impressive. I'm not sure if he's dropped the ball dating back to the summer and preseason and training camp. So he's been spectacular that way. I think he's already a better blocker than Eric Ebron. And Ebron has struggled as a receiver early in the season too. He's got two big drops um, and he has gone uh, one catch on four targets so far and, and that's it. So yeah, I think that uh, that Fryermuth can have a big role this game, especially if Johnson's out, he can see additional targets and hopefully he becomes another security blanket for Ben. Yeah, it's it's interesting that coming into this game somehow the again knock on wood i don't want to be the one jinxing anything here but the steelers offense is a little less scary to me than it has been in previous years but that defense is downright terrifying to me um coupled with the struggles with our pass blocking in general i think um tackles have played pretty well interior there have been some question marks uh mixon has struggled in pass blocking p ryan struggled in pass blocking We've had tons of communication issues, and now we're going up against a defense that is filled with guys that can get pressures on the quarterback. And I actually had to double check after I had done the show sheet because I felt like I must have done something wrong in my search criteria because it almost didn't seem right that Cam Hayward already has 14 quarterback pressures in two games. Mm -hmm. Melvin Ingram already has 11. That's uh, third and fifth in the league so far. That is ridiculous to have two guys already combining for 25 pressures on the quarterback. Um, now, again, I looked uh, I looked at pro football reference, and I don't know how they define all of these things. It says that the Steelers have only blitzed about 9% of the time this year, which was like 30-something percent last year. Have you noticed the team blitzing less and just relying on their natural pass rush to generate pressure more this year? Is that by design or... Yes, I I think that is one of my biggest positive takeaways from the first two games of the season and mainly against the Bills is how well the Steelers were able to generate pressure with only sending four guys. And I think that that starts with TJ Watt. When he's in the lineup, the Steelers can easily get pressure on the quarterback and that allows them to keep an extra defensive back uh, in the backfield. And so I think in a perfect world, I would love to see far less blitzing this year and more pressure on four-man fronts because I think that's how you p- stop passing offenses. If I was a Bengals fan this week, I would be cautiously optimistic considering all of Pittsburgh's injuries that they have right now. 
Um, I don't know if you watched the last game against the Raiders or not, but when Watt uh, left the game with the groin injury, things went downhill pretty fast after that. Alex Highsmith is a good pass rusher, and so is Melvin Ingram. But without the ability to have that healthy rotation and to keep those guys fresh and to have your superstar player out there, maybe one of the best three defensive players in the NFL, that really made a difference in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. They did a few more blitzes in the second half of the game, and they had a harder time in general generating a pass rush with just four. And so Derek Carr was able to sit back there and pick them apart, and he had ended up having a, a sixty-yard, a sixty-one-yard touchdown in that in the second half of that game as well. And so I think that makes a big difference when T.J. Watts not on the field. If he misses this game against the Bengals, uh, it's going to make their job on the offensive line much easier. Along those lines, do you think do you think the Pittsburgh defense again? They haven't really necessarily struggled by any means so far. Do they miss Mike Hilton? Uh, obviously signed with Cincinnati, and he's been all right. I, I don't think he's been a weak spot in our defense. I also don't think that he's been an impact player yet. We haven't seen him get a strip sack or anything like that. Being sent on blitzes like we're used to seeing him is that a is that a that's a piece of of the rivalry here between Cincinnati's Pittsburgh is I think about all the blitzing, especially from um, the defensive backfield corner blitzes, safety blitzes and things like that. Is that missing this year? Or do you think the, the front line there has made up enough that you don't really miss Mike Hilton? Yeah, I think they do miss Mike Hilton. And honestly, that might be in itself a reason why Steelers haven't quite blitzed as much this year as they did in years past. Uh, obviously, that's where Hilton thrives is coming downhill, supporting the run and blitzing in terms of a coverage guy. I think he's very average in that department in comparison to other slot cornerbacks around the NFL, but he was very valuable to our particular football team and in, in the way that Keith Butler ran this defense um, in his stead right now, the Steelers are piecing a few things together. Uh, Trey Norwood is their seventh round rookie defensive back this year. He's played a lot of snaps uh, in the first two games. And that's not something that I really expect. And I think he struggled at times with some of that. So, yeah, I do think that they miss Mike Hilton. I think they're weathering the storm without him. It didn't help that Joe Hayden was missing last week. I think that uh, that could have helped their defense quite a bit had he been able to play. Um, but in that regard, I do think the Steelers made the right decision keeping Cameron Sutton. And it, it kind of came down into a decision between those two players. I think that Sutton is a much better cover player overall. And Hilton is the better blitzer and run defense. And so um, I wish him luck. I hope he has a great career with the Bengals. Uh, but yeah, that's something that might be missing from Steelers defense right now. I don't I don't really know what to make of the defense outside of the defensive line. Um, if you look at just the raw stats, they've given up almost 400 yards a game. They're only surrendering to 22 points per game. Again, we've only got a two-game sample size. But the other thing I noticed was they've given up the highest number of air yard. This is a weird stat, but air yards on completions. So the completed passes they're giving up the most air yards behind those. So either there's there's two things that could be behind that one. They're giving up tons and tons of completions and the air yards just add up or they're giving up a lot more chunk plays. And you mentioned the 61 yard touchdown last week. I went and looked at the passing chart for Josh Allen in week one. He attempted a a good number of, of passes, 10 to 20, 20 plus yards. Didn't have a lot of success on him. He was one for seven, throwing it 20 plus yards down the field. Do you think the backside of this defense for Pittsburgh is a weakness that can be attacked with the deep ball? 
Yeah, Taylor, I think that it is a weakness when the defense is not healthy. And so when TJ Watt is out there, they were able to get much more pressure, like I said, but obviously they're starting to exploit some of their biggest weaknesses when he's not. And Joe Hayden plays a factor in that as well. Uh, in his stead, James Pierre started, um, who is a second year undrafted cornerback. And in his first two games, he's given up nine catches on 13 targets for 107 yards, according to pro football reference. And so that's, that's far too much. Derek Carr last week had 10.3 yards per attempt against them, which ended up equating to 126.2 quarterback rating. That's not good. And, and a lot of those came on that one big 61 yard touchdown to Henry Ruggs, but they're giving up far too many chunk plays. And I, I assumed that the secondary was going to be an issue if the Steelers couldn't be get fast pressure. We saw that last week when they were not able to get fast pressure in the second half, then Derek Carr was able to light them up. And I worry that this could be a concern moving forward as well. Um, if, if TJ Watt doesn't come back soon, if Tef Stephon Tewitt doesn't come back soon, obviously they lost Tyson Alulu probably for the year last week as he has a fractured ankle. And so all these factors are coming into play now. And I think the secondary is starting to show their true colors a little bit. And to be honest, I think, I don't think Minka Fitzpatrick has had a very good first two weeks either. I think that he could have given up a big player too. Uh, against Josh Allen and the Bills in week one. And he admitted that he was responsible for having contained on that uh, touchdown to Henry Ruggs last week. And so I think he's off to a bit of a rocky start. And I think he might actually be the worst graded safety. He is the worst graded safety on pro football focus right now. So, um, ouch. Yeah. So it's, it's a combination of things, but I do think the, the secondary could be a weakness here this year. If, there's not fast pressure consistently. And looking from the, the Pittsburgh side of things on the defensive side at the, at the across the line at the Bengals offense, which if you had to pick one player from the Cincinnati Bengals offense scares you the most um, as you plan, as you prep for the game against the Bengals in week three, one that could really gash your defense. I would say it has to be Jamar Chase probably. He's made some big plays already. He's only entering the third game of his NFL career, but we've seen the Steelers uh, this last week especially give up a few big plays, and I think that he's someone uh, that could gash them again. Joe Hayden is dealing with a groin injury, and we don't know his status yet for the game if the Steelers are going to be optim or if they're, they're going to be cautious with him and just let him sit this one out and, and make sure that he's fully recovered, then that could be an issue again as, as uh, James Pierre is going to be out there. And I think Cameron Sutton's a, a good football player, but um, I can, I can almost bet you that uh, the Bengals are going to try to exploit that matchup though, against Steelers secondary. And I have a feeling he's going to get a few big plays against them this week. Yeah. That's the, the frustrating thing about this Bengals team is we want them to take more deep shots down the field while also recognizing that deep shots typically take more time to develop. And Zach Taylor is making a concerted effort to get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands quickly so he doesn't take hits. So I noted on my last episode, Jamar Chase just came out and said in the press game uh, or the uh, post game presser, we should have taken deep shots a lot earlier than we did. We knew what they were doing. They were sitting on the underneath routes. Zach Taylor comes out and says, oh, yeah, the Rams were able to, to beat them deep. And it's like, well, you're, you know, you're calling the plays. <laughs> you didn't call deep plays till the end of the game. Uh, Joe Burrow made reference to 
we need to go over the top of a defense that's playing short. So it sounds like they, the key decision makers in that offense know what they need to do. I can't imagine they go with a similar game plan this week against Pittsburgh and just go empty set quick, quick, quick. But if that defense is at all healthy along the front, you can't stand back there and wait five seconds for a play to develop. So I'm really that's that's one of the things I'm most interested in this week is how Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow are going to combat this line that's able to get so much pressure naturally without bringing extra blitzers. So, man, I don't I don't know what to expect. One of my uh, my fun over under here for you over unders here. How many sacks does Pittsburgh get in week three? against the Bengals they've given up see PFF says they've given up six sacks so far this year other sites say nine sacks so either way Bengals offensive Mm. line hasn't been great how many does Pittsburgh get against Joe Burrow in week three man that's a difficult question because I think a lot of that depends on whether or not TJ Watt plays this week uh Mm. assuming that he doesn't, and it doesn't look like it. May, it looks like that might be the case because the Steelers, uh, I believe, they just signed Taco Charlton, former first-round pick, who was oh, mistakenly wow. drafted ahead of T.J. Watt by the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> uh, but if Watt doesn't suit up in this game, I can see the Steelers only getting maybe two sacks, three sacks. I would probably set the over/under at two and a half sacks for the Steelers, which is uh, not as much as they're used to seeing. And so, um, if Watt plays in this game, man. I don't know against that Bengals offensive line. I could, I think that this team could get four or five sacks even. And that, that that's one of like the interesting lot, things too, is, is we mentioned Cam Hayward and Melvin Ingram as the two highest or most pressures for your defense so far. Mm-hmm. We didn't mention TJ Watt in there, but that's not accounting for the impact that TJ Watt has while he's out there, right? The offensive line oh, yeah. paying extra attention to him, double teaming him and opening things up for other players. So even though the the raw numbers, if you look at TJ Watt and say, well, he's you know third or fourth on the team in pressures, it doesn't take into account of what he's opening up for those other guys. So not having them out there, not only are you losing his production and anything he would have done, you're potentially limiting a little bit of the production from some of those other guys on that line. So I that's I'm guessing probably the biggest storyline for Pittsburgh leading into this game. Yeah, for sure. And and the eye test, I don't think it lies too much. Uh, Watt is frequently double teamed um, and he still has done really well with that drawing several penalties, holding, holding calls and a few others that could have been called in the first two weeks and still getting his hands on the football and strip sacks. And so he's just such an impact player. Uh, I don't really think there's, there's been someone like him on Steelers defense since Troy Polamalu was here. He just, every time he's on the field, you feel like this team has a chance to win off their defense alone. And so if he doesn't play in this game, yeah, that's going to make a monumental impact. Cam, Cam Hayward is still uh, an amazing football player. It's just not the same, though, when when Watt's not there. All right. One thing I do uh, before on every one of these uh, game preview episodes, try to pick some fantasy stars from each team. Do you have, and if you don't have them, it's fine. I'll, I'll add it in a later segment. Do you have somebody on Pittsburgh that you think is the guy that is really primed to pop off this week against the Cincinnati Bengals defense? I do. I would say Chase Claypool. And I know that some mm-hmm. fans are frustrated with him right now. I, I kind of can understand that. I think a lot of that has to do with Ben's inability to be really accurate down the field as well. He's had to make some tough adjustments. Last week, he had nine targets. He only caught three of them, but that was for 70 yards. And so I feel like if Ben and Claypool can get a little bit more on the same page, 
Uh, maybe he steals some of Deontay Johnson's targets this week if, if Johnson misses. And I think uh, Claypool has the upside to have a monster week three in fantasy. All right, we're going with Chase Claypool for Pittsburgh then, and I, I think we're going with Jamar Chase for Cincinnati. It's hard to uh, – it's it's funny when I do these because week one I chose uh, Tyler Boyd, I think, as my, my start of the week, and he had the worst game of the three receivers. <laughs> Last week I chose T. Higgins. He had a touchdown but also a fumble. It's like this weird thing where really you could choose any of those three guys pretty much any week and probably be okay. Um, Mixon will have his weeks. I don't think this is a Mixon week, honestly. I, I If we try to run the ball up the middle against that defense, I don't think we're going to see a lot of success. So we'll go we'll go Claypool and Jamar Chase. What's your what's your score prediction for this game? Which AFC North team is moving to two and one? Oh man, I I can't imagine the Steelers dropping this game the second game in a row like this but again a lot of it i think is going to have to it's going to come down to the health uh steelers losing two games in a row at heinz field i don't know about that i have the steelers winning this one 24 to 20 i think that the Bengals end up covering the spread i think i do think the steelers get a little bit more going offensively this game uh but i think it stays close throughout and i have steelers just pulling this one off yeah, I let's see. Uh, week one, I said we would lose, and week two, I said we would win. So not off to a hot start there either. Um, I do feel like this is a, a Bengals loss as well, and um, it more comes down to I'm hopeful that this is a season where we could split with Pittsburgh, that we're not going to get swept. So if you're gonna if you're gonna assume a split, you would generally say, okay, you'll probably lose the one in Pittsburgh. And not even considering the fact that they just lost in Pittsburgh, and I don't think they'll lose two in a row. This kind of seems like it could be setting up for one of those really sloppy AFC North games, potentially low scoring. Um, we saw the Bengals offense struggle for the majority of last week. The Pittsburgh offense hasn't been as explosive as in years past. Could be, It could be a weird one. I'm going with uh, Steelers 20 to 17. I just don't know that I could see the Steelers because the, the Bengals defense have played well. Can you see the Steelers offense being able to score 27 if they needed to? I don't think they'll sniff 30. I mean, if no, I, yeah, I, I don't get... see a 30 point game. I, I think 27 is certainly possible. Um, again, it's just going to come down to the offensive line play a lot. And I, and I think if Steelers are able to establish somewhat of a run that can help them out. Uh, for what it's worth, Taylor, I'm 0-2 as well for Steelers predictions <laughs> to begin the season. I thought that they would lose on the road in Buffalo, and I thought that they would win this past week as the Raiders traveled from a Monday night overtime game from the West Coast to Pittsburgh, and the Steelers ended up getting it handed to them, and I didn't know they were going to be without so many defensive starters, but yeah, so I'm not doing so hot either. We can chalk it up to early season. We don't know. Uh, I mentioned it before is is we don't know what's a trend yet and what's a, an anomaly or an outlier type of thing. So right now, early in the season, we're guessing which teams will be good. Um, I don't think we ex I mean, I didn't expect the Raiders, like you said last week, to beat the Steelers. That would have been in an eliminator pool type thing. I would have taken the Steelers there. Uh, <laughs> short week travel for for Vegas and Look, what do we know? Two weeks into the season, <laughs> we don't know it's anything. It's always yet. So hard to predict early on, for sure. Yeah, ho hopefully mid-season by the end of the year. Uh, you know, you and I hit our groove here with our predictions. But uh, thank you for jumping on with me today. Appreciate your time. Uh, once again, just tell everyone where they can find you out on Twitter. I know you are 
regularly tweeting out uh, Steelers propaganda. But just in case any Bengals fans want to get in your mentions every once in a while, where, where would they find you? And thanks again, Taylor, for having me. Um, I am the editor for stillcurtain.com for fansided. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tommy Jagai. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me. I don't know what your confidence level is for the Bengals this week. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous, and I mentioned it a little bit there in the conversation with Tommy. You have an offense that we need them to open the playbook a little bit. We need them to try to press the ball down the field. We've got the playmakers, Higgins and Jamar Chase, that can make those plays down the field. But those are longer developing plays. So how are you going to do that without an offensive line that's able to protect Burrow? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Uh, I'm also not being paid as a head coach, so I guess I don't have to have the answer to that. But I'm hopeful that that's something that Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow can figure out this week the best way to to be able to do that, to, to balance taking deep shots but still protecting your quarterback because we are not going to just be able to dink and dunk our way to a win against Pittsburgh, I don't believe. They have a ferocious front four. Hopefully the, um, I mean, it's hard to say you hope for an injury, but it would be nice if TJ Watt sat this one out and rested himself up. He definitely should uh, make sure he's fully healthy before jumping back into action here. So maybe we'll get lucky and he doesn't play. But injuries aside, this is a big game for the Bengals. It would be a massive win. Unfortunately, I'm not sure they're going to be able to pull it out. I'll be rooting for them either way, though. Also, I had mentioned a couple episodes ago, I believe, uh, Mo Egger. Going to be interviewing him later this week. We'll get that episode out. Very excited about that one, talking about the Bengals, not just 2021, but uh, kind of Cincinnati sports as a whole, the Bengals as it relates to their franchise over the last decade or so. Really looking forward to that conversation as well. Thank you, as always, for listening. Wherever you may be listening, be sure to subscribe. Don't miss any episodes. Be sure to leave a nice little five-star review for us out there as well on whatever podcasting platform you have. Thank you for listening. And until next time, hootie!